Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose podcast, the Bauer and Rose show. We're on every weekend on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. And our podcasts can be heard whenever your uh, large and generous hearts desire on any podcast platform you choose. Well, it's July 4 week, and I, I've got a bunch of thoughts, which I'm going to get in first, because once Bauer takes a hold of the mic, I won't have a prayer. I, I'm very emotional today, Tom. I, I've been, you know, I've been torturing myself by watching patriotic renditions of one time of one type or another uh, some very moving welcoming homes of uh, fallen heroes and uh, uh, so anyway feel free to take the next 45 minutes or so and if folks you hear sobbing in the background it's a bower because he can't <laughs> get his uh, act together so well anyway, I, I, we have we have uh, an extraordinary opportunity which I think so many of us miss um, to appreciate or understand the degree to which we have been shaped by those who created this great country, not just the famous founders, but those whose lives, whose fortunes and sacred honor was on the line, but whose names today mean nothing to us because they were anonymous everyday folks, even in their own time. But there they were, doing the heroic and unprecedented work which made possible how we're able to live in a free country that we do today for as long as it lasts. In 1776, now very famous letter to her husband, Abigail Adams wrote that future generations who will reap the blessings will scarcely be able to conceive of the hardship and suffering of their ancestors. Um, and of course it all started, Thomas Paine in his great pamphlet, Common Sense, wrote in 1775, before there was really much talk, frankly, of independence, that we have the power to begin the world again, a situation that hasn't happened since Noah until now. The birthday of a new world is at hand. And of course the war began, as we all know, with a single shot fired in a small New England town and ended eight and a half years later, literally on the other side of the world, waged a war waged from the Great Lakes to the Caribbean, from the West Indies to India itself. Forty million people on four continents would get involved in this colonial rebellion. And within the colonies here at home, Americans, we'd fight our first uh, civil war. Um, and when you look back and think about what prompted it all, what contributed to it all for nine generations. The settlers of this land considered themselves first and foremost loyal British Americans. Um, 
But even before that, they were Virginians and Carolinians and New Englanders loyal to their colonies. And you got to remember that when it, at a time when it took two months for a letter to cross the Atlantic, our predecessors enjoyed unprecedented freedoms. They were governed from three miles, 3,000 miles away, which meant that they weren't governed at all. They weren't governed at all from London. They governed themselves. And of course, then there was this French and Indian War, which lasted seven long and bloody years and nearly bankrupted England. Um, Parliament at that point started taking a more direct hand in colonial affairs. They were imposing taxes on us to help them defray what they would say were the costs of defending the colonists against the French and the Indians. And uh, the colonists didn't take too kindly to being taxed without any consent whatsoever, despite the fact that in England, people were taxed at a rate, Paul Johnson points this out, 26 times higher than they were here in America. Um, There was an old New England militia captain, one of my favorite Revolutionary War quotes and founding quotes, militia captain explained in just incredible, you know, plain speaking, plain spoken terms what finally pushed, you know, this collection of small yeoman farmers and merchants and backwoodsmen into defying and ultimately defeating the greatest power on earth. He said, and I've written this down, what we meant in going for those red coats was this. We had always governed ourselves and always meant to. They didn't mean that we should. So there you have it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great that's a great quote, Tom. You probably, if you wrote it down, you probably read the whole background because he he was interviewed uh, many years after the fact. I believe he was in his eighties, and a and a, and a reporter was asking him this, right? You know, like, well, what caused you, you know, to pick up your musket and head to the bridge? And had you? Um, had you, had you read Locke? And he goes, never heard of it. Uh, well, um, what was it? Uh, uh, you know, the, were you moved by the dumping of the tea in, in the harbor? Don't drink the stuff. Uh, <laughs> the reporter went through three or four things, and the guy knocked him away. Well, then why did you do it? <laughs> and gave that answer. You just quoted. Um Oh, but far uh, that kind of both simple patriotism, but patriotism built around something that matters, i.e. the notion that we have a right to govern ourselves and that our liberty uh, doesn't come from the queen or the king. It doesn't come from the Congress or the president. It comes from God. He's the author of it. No tyrants will take it away, but not legitimately. No, no tyrant can legitimately take away what God has instilled in us. That's why free men try always to fight back um, and, and why we're, we're being tested right now, Tom, to see if we still have what it takes. I, I heard something this morning. I think it was on Fox um, where uh, – no, no, I, it was on our uh, our friend uh, Steve Bannon's show. Um he had a guest on who was talking about in these years leading up to the American Revolution uh, that there was there were many, many people here that even while we were still part of the motherland, the mother country, 
were, were, and I'm not even sure whether they said it this way, I doubt that, but they were already thinking of themselves as being different, that they were Americans. They, they were different from the home country. They were here and they were facing the issues and challenges and problems that were here. But there was another group, uh, and I think historically it's been decided they were about a third of the population, who they were still British. They were British who came here to establish British colonies in the New World. And and so as you referred, I don't know if you're a reference to our first civil war, uh, meant that we, it was a, a fight of British people between each other, but uh, among those that were colonists, it was a civil war. Absolutely, between Tories, between loyalists, and between patriots. Yeah. And uh, and then, there, as always, there, there's the people that uh, uh, the, the Bible, you know, has a, a parable uh, uh, about, you know, give me hot or give me cold, but lukewarm, I will spew out of my mouth. Uh, a third of the country were what we would call patriots today. A third were loyalists to uh, Britain. And a third was, I really don't have time for politics. They're with us in every generation, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I, as, a, uh, as a Christian, I, I'm always uh, uh, in, inspired uh, when I, because as you know, one of my big complaints, and, and you have this complaint about uh, your people, um, you know, how many just either don't get it or neutral or, or even worse in some cases are actually on the side of forces in America today that would snuff out the liberty our founders gave to us. Uh, but, but what's striking is that if you can, if you can actually find a real history of the American Revolution, the number of incidents where pastors, preachers in the colonies led their entire congregation of men and fighting age boys to the front lines. In fact, the some of the earliest battles, you know, we just say, well, they were done by militia. Well, they were done by militia that often had been organized in the churches. And there's a famous pastor in Virginia uh, his statue, I believe, is still in Statutory Hall, although I'm sure soon to be removed. Um, he preached to his congregation at time for this, a time you know, the Bible, you know, there's a time for every season, a time for this, time, a time for war and a time for peace. Ecclesiastes. And then he ripped off his vestments and he was wearing a, col- uh, a, a colonial uniform uh, uh, of, of the Patriots. And uh, with the men in the church uh, to do battle, you know, it's, uh, we have a hard time now getting pastors to set up a, a voter registration uh, table at the back of the sanctuary because uh, we don't have anything to do with politics. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, if you look back, and this is, I think, a good time for reflection, as as many folks have, you know, a super long weekend, uh, many. Uh, We'll have the uh, luxury of not having to go to work on Monday and our holiday on Tuesday. Um, the fighting started, of course, on what is now called Patriots Day, April 19, 1775. It had been brewing for 10, 15 years. The British commander in North America, Thomas Gage, sent out 
800 redcoats on what he thought was going to be a secret mission to the small town of Concord, which is now a Boston suburb, to snuff out uh, what British intelligence thought was a secret insurrection by seizing uh, colonial arms and powder before an uprising began. But before the order could reach British soldiers, it was passed to rebel spies led by the famous founder, Dr. Joseph Warren, head of rebel intelligence, um, who set up this elaborate series of alarms to warn the official courier to the Massachusetts Congress, this 40-year-old silversmith named Paul Revere, that the Redcoats were coming to seize their arms. Now, by the end of that day, more than 270 Redcoats were wounded, missing, or dead. And the British were furious that the Americans would fire upon them from, from behind trees or gullies or dense cover. And within a single day, as you alluded to, 20,000 Colonial militia had volunteered for the cause. Most activated or moved by uh, the one communal organization in their small towns known as, uh, today we would quaintly call it a church. And of course, the country would never be the same again. And so began the greatest, you know, most noble, most paradoxical and purposefully national enterprise in history, the United States of America, whose four hundred, whose two hundred and forty seventh birthday we celebrate this week. Yeah, you know uh, Abigail's uh, letter, uh, Tom, where she says that um, you know, future generations will have a hard time uh, understanding or processing whatever the words was that she used. Uh, the, the, you know the the great sacrifices, the great things that were done in order to give birth to the new nation. Um, and, you know, as we have talked about endlessly, it's it's not just that uh, we we don't we've forgotten those sacrifices or our children don't know what the heck we're talking about. It's not as if they haven't been taught anything about the beginning. Uh, they're, they're being taught about the beginning of the country, but it is a uh, a history that teaches them that the people that started the country were terrible. They were horrible, horrible people. And then one of the big narratives uh, that um, uh, people are fighting back against in our schools called the 1619 Project, because the idiot that's promoting it is arguing that uh, that uh, America really began in 1619 uh, when the first uh, slaves were, were brought here. Uh, but you, you know, it also goes under the banner of critical race theory and, you know, the media mavens and the apologists, uh, say, Oh, the conservatives and Republicans don't want our children to know about racial issues and discrimination. That's such BS. I, I can't say what I really think it is because we'd be off the air. Uh, but what, what is, what's being taught by this movement uh, to children? In the hours that they have free in school after they've been taught that they're 52, they can pick which one they want. You then move on to history where they're taught that America was built on slavery and that the reason for the American Revolution was that the colonists were afraid the Brits were going to make us get rid of our slaves. So that's what caused that was the motivating reason for the American Revolution. You know, it's, and you've got sorry, go ahead. generations of kids now that have been taught that. And we wonder why 
They don't get a tear in their eyes like we do when the national anthem plays. Or we go, look at this poll. This can't be true. Only 30% of young Americans are proud of their country. I mean, Tom, this is, you know, we've talked about these experiments and quotes that America's uh, betters, our, our elites, have been conducting for some time now. Uh, the experiment of trying to uh, raise children without fathers in the home. Uh, but, but one of the experiments is, can you sustain a country when you teach its children to hate the country? The, the most terrible countries in the world teach their children to love their countries. The mediocre countries that are not terrible, they're just trying to get better lives for themselves. I, I don't care where, where these countries are, in Africa and in Latin America, they teach their children to love the history of their country. Yeah, I mean, we've got... The world. Yeah, no, we're suffering this kind of societal Stockholm syndrome, a desperation to identify uh, with anything that comes down the pike other than our own. And there's another thing that kind of struck me. I'm reading this. It's not a new book, but by Alan Taylor, who won the Pulitzer Prize, A History of the Revolution, in which he makes uh, an interesting point I'd never thought of before. The the redcoats that were in North America at the time, uh, being a soldier was the British job of absolute last resort. They were the dregs of British society. There was a famous... Um, uh, British saying that went a messmate before a shipmate, a shipmate before a stranger, a stranger before a dog and a dog before a soldier. So the irony here is that the colonists themselves and the redcoats came from very similar social stock. And if the situation were different or if similar circumstances would have availed themselves to a lot of these redcoats, most of them, they would have been the ones who would have escaped to America to get away from all of that. I mean, land available here on a scale never known before. Um, in England, about one out of men, one out of 10 men owned property in the colonies at the time of the revolution. In New England, nine out of 10 did. One didn't have to be wealthy to become wealthy in this new land. Land and opportunity beckoned here that were the true wonders of the new world. Um Colonists, of course, had never been taxed before, and there was the Stamp Act and the Townsend Act and the the uh, uh, all the acts and um, uh, proclamations that so infuriated the founders. Uh, another thing to remember um, as we look back on our 247th birthday, Gary, is that no one who's ever lived lived their lives in the past. Thomas Jefferson never once said to Ben Franklin, isn't it great we get to live in the past? They lived in their present, just as we live in ours. They didn't know what their tomorrow would bring any more than we know what our tomorrow will bring. Their present was different than our present. And that is what the the myopic view of this march through the institutions of the left either can't understand or refuses to understand. We, we, we judge them by our standards, which are about 13 minutes old because our standards change every five minutes. You know, 20 years ago, we were the beacon of freedom and today we're the beacon of pride month. We don't have pictures 
of our founders. We don't have audio recordings. There are no film clips and there weren't war correspondents. So we don't have reports from the British or the Patriot sides. There weren't even any contemporary artist correspondents. There were no Winslow homers like in the Civil War. And all the artistic renditions that we see today in our museums and our history books, those of us that ever actually have read a history book, were sketched long after the battles. What we do have are the letters, the diaries, the orderly books, the memoirs. And these are so rich, so detailed, so beautifully written that they almost compensate for what we don't have and make me downright jealous that we don't live in an age like that anymore. Well, yeah, you know, Tom, you, you, the, there's been a lot of articles after COVID. Uh, uh, the schools came back into session and so forth and all over the country. Uh, we're, we're getting uh, just heartbreaking reports because these reports signify lives that will be lesser lives than they should have been. And what I'm referring to is the complete failure uh, of America's public education, particularly in the urban centers uh, who desperately need help to overcome the disadvantages of, in many cases, in dysfunctional homes and we're we're reading uh, articles that say that you know the such and such school uh, everybody in the seventh grade is is four uh, years behind in uh, reading and writing skills and uh, a more accurate uh, statement would be they're 250 years behind in what Men, common men and women were able to write and read in early America. I, I mean, the, 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 what's extraordinary about this, Tom, is that we all walk around thinking we live in an incredible modern age. And, you know, gleaming things hooked up to the Internet and, you know, vehicles we couldn't possibly imagine. We, you know, were rockets going up in space, uh, et cetera. But in some ways, we live in a more savage, debased, ignorant time than they did in the 1770s. <laughs> I mean, things we're exposing our children to today that adults want to expose our children to today. In the 1770s, a father, a husband would have done whatever he had to do to stop his little colonial boy or girl from seeing those things or having an adult tell that child those things. In its own way, it was we are living in a more savage time and what we will subject children and women to. Then they were living in then at, a, at the edge of a wilderness. You know, Edmund Burke, the great founder of, I guess you could call it modern conservatism, the English Tory uh, member of parliament who became the great advocate for American independence, um, argued in parliament during the war that the British didn't really understand what motivated us. They'd been raised, the colonists, our ancestors, our predecessors with um English independence, English autonomy, and Edmund Burke, his famous line that, that the colonists had come to snuff the approach of tyranny with every tainted breeze. And yet today we have the governing party of this country, of those descendants, whose definition 
of freedom, of democracy, is almost like the Marxist <laughs> definition of peace. Was it Marx or Engels? I can't remember who said the meaning of peace is the absence of any opposition to socialism. <laughs> right? Mm. In the Soviet Union. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that was Obama. Yeah. If it wasn't said by a modern liberal Democrat, it it certainly has been thought by them. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's one of the great ironies and tragedies of the subsequent 247 years is that it's led us to this point where we have an unapologetic ruling party that um, doesn't want to govern under constitutional limits, but instead wants to rule without those constraints. And this can only happen when their power is it can't be challenged. We could point to the Biden administration's, you know, direct prosecutions of its chief political rival, its effort to wipe out any threat to its agenda, that it's without precedent. But it's really not without precedent because it is what animated uh, a revolution to begin with, because today in America, we've got this never ending cycle of persecution and prosecutorial paybacks, that's the order of the way things normally work in the world. We were the exception for a quarter of a millennia. And a lot of us think, you know, normality is breaking down. Well, in a much broader sense, in a 30,000 foot sense, unfortunately, tragically, it's normality that's being brought back. It's American exceptionalism that's being crushed. The criminalization of politics today is only one bit of the left's doctrine that politics are war uh, beyond other means. Um, And the left's long march through the institutions, which began 50, 60 years ago, uh, is now way beyond academia. It's in our corporate suites, and it only serves to support and enhance Democrat power. They want conservatives, Republicans, libertarians to be they want us all to be reprogrammed. And if we can't be reprogrammed successfully, then simply canceled, even if necessary by coercion, by force. What they really want from us, Gary, is our unconditional surrender. Um, Absolutely, Tom. Let me, let me give you a quick example of how this is working. And uh, it, it involves moms for Liberty, this group that has sprung up in the last three or three years or so. Um, recently smeared and defamed in a disgraceful piece in front page of the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, this is uh, I'm going to talk about what was in the Washington Post. Um, So I I know the ladies that run this. I I spent a good bit of time uh, talking to one of them at a a meeting uh, here in Washington, a few actually in Florida a few months ago. But the, the Southern Poverty Leadership whatever the heck it is, um, is a left-wing smear operation. Its sole purpose to exist is to take normal conservative groups and label them as Nazi, neo-Nazi, fascist, extremist, bigoted, uh, against diversity, or whatever. So um, they came out with a report, and they named, for Liberty and about 15 other parental rights groups and called them 
uh, it put them in the same category of of things that every normal American abhors: fascists, Nazis. We abhor people like that, and thank God there aren't many of them in America. Uh, but they label these groups of moms and dads, or in this case, a group of moms that are trying to protect their children from debased material. Uh, all too often introduced in our public schools. Well, the report came out. Uh, some Republicans stopped. Some Republicans went to the microphone and to the camera and said this is outrageous, uh, et cetera. Uh, the, the the fine ladies that ran the org- run the organization, and I don't know whether they were this was bravado or what, but they said in a couple of interviews, uh, I, we're not even going to pay any attention to this. It's so ridiculous. We're not going to waste our time on it. And I, I remember thinking at the time, ladies, you know, I love what you're doing, but you can't ignore this. You can't let something like this go by and just say, oh, I, you know, it's so ridiculous. Nobody's going to believe that. Which brings me to the front page of the newspaper. And I don't have it right in front of me, uh, Tom, but the first paragraph was um, Moms for Liberty a group identified just weeks ago by the Southern Poverty Leadership Council as a neo-fascist, right-wing, you know, oppressive group, is holding its convention in Philadelphia. And the five leading contenders for the Republican presidential nomination all went there to kneel before them, essentially. Now, a day before that, two days before that, there was a smaller article that multiple Democrat members of the Philadelphia uh, City Council sent a letter to the museum or the uh, center of the uh, for the American Revolution, which is an historic place in Philadelphia, urging the center to cancel the Convention of Moms for Liberty because they have been identified as a neo-fascist group that have come to our city to plot their da 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You see how this works, folks? We are labeled. I, I, if, if I went down the list, the Family Research Council, focus on the family. Mainstream Christian organizations have been labeled by this group as Nazi. We were talking at the breakfast table when I was reading Carol excerpts from this article. It's the front of the Washington Post. So everybody in this suburb here that the Republican Party says, we've got to win the suburbs. We've got to win them, but we're not going to be able to win another election. Well, all these people here, our neighbors, et cetera, they all get to Washington. They don't go to websites like we go to and know what Moms for Liberty really is. They've never had the, you know, the the good fortune to meet the leaders and see how much they love their children and to understand exactly what it is they're advocating for. All they read on the front page of the Post yesterday was this neo-Nazi group held a convention and these five Republican presidential contenders went to it. And I can just imagine, Tom, the conversations that were taking place at our neighbor's dinner tables. You know what? Every time I think I could vote for a Republican, I'm reminded by something like this about just 
how crazy they are. And you know what's what's particularly uh, galling about this whole thing? I'm from Indianapolis, as you know, and the whole Nazi meme for um, this group, this great group, came from an ad they ran in a local newspaper in an Indianapolis suburb, which quoted Adolf Hitler's yeah. very, very true statement that if you give us your youth, we will win the future. And because they used that quote, which epitomized Hitler's evil value and his methodology for uh, Nazifying the future, they're labeled they were saying it as a warning. Of right? course, warning. they were saying it as a warning. That's the whole point. And unfortunately, and this was a tactical mistake on their part, they apologized for that. So even by recognizing it, they almost in the sick, twisted world that we live in gave legitimacy to the charge. If we live in a world where we can't learn from the most evil people who ever lived about their diabolical designs, about the successes they achieved in exploiting or maximizing those designs, then we truly are condemned to repeat a future in which evil triumphs and good is diminished. You know, we're constantly required, conservatives, by the establishment left to own, to take responsibility for every one of our country's darkest chapters, from slavery to segregation, isolationism, even the Holocaust itself, McCarthyism, when all but McCarthy himself were actual policies of Democrats. The, the, the vital lie of the left is that if only the hope and ambition of these early radicals hadn't been killed by reactionary right-wingers like you or me, we'd live in a, in a better world. Western civilization was saved. Western civilization, Judeo-Christian civilization, has been given repeated leases on life only because we were able to defeat the barbarians. We shouldn't only be grateful that they were crushed, but vigilant, defiant, um, absolutely dedicated to ensure that the victory won by our, our ancestors, by our antecedents, by our predecessors, that their victories are sustained. And that vigilance is dependent upon understanding the foundations upon which this contemporary liberal left-wing fantasy land stands. And we don't do that. No, we, we don't, uh, Tom. There, we, there's a lot of things we don't do. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was going to mention uh, a little earlier uh, when I, maybe I brought up the Boston Tea Party. Um, that was that was an act of civil disobedience. It wasn't violent. Um, it was a demonstration. And, um, you know, there, there were a lot of uh, people that, that were against it. I mean, hey, that's property. You're throwing somebody's property into the into the harbor, you know. Um, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we could go back and look. Some of those guys might have lost their jobs when the boss found out they were uh, part of this group of uh, ruffians that, uh, you, you know, upset the apple cart or the tea boxes uh, as form of a protest. I, Tom, I remember it's been a long time now. There was a uh, a guy that. Um, started organizing pro-life people 
to seriously engage in demonstrations outside of abortion clinics. And uh, what he did was he would go all around the country and he would talk at churches and other places. And he'd say, look, uh, there's strength in numbers, uh, no violence. We cannot do anything that that resembles violence. But I need uh, 100, 200, 300 volunteers uh, to come with me next Tuesday. We're going to go down to the abortion clinic. We're just going to form a little circle and we're going to sit down. And we're going to sing songs and uh, pray, and we're not going to move. We're not going to move. And uh, Tom, I, you know, I'm going to go back and check it out. Maybe I'm imagining it was better than it was. This thing began to grow incredibly. I think it's one of the things that spurred the liberal law that, of course, uh, reiterated that there, you know, violence at a clinic is against the law. Well, of course it is. Anybody that you know, blew up a clinic and that happened a couple of times or set a, a clinic on fire. That's against the law. They should be prosecuted, but to the full extent of the law, just like the people now uh, blowing up synagogues or churches or setting churches and synagogues on fire or crisis pregnancy centers should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. These people were not doing that. They were engaging in civil disobedience in the finest um to the finest history of that tactic, particularly in the American civil rights movement, but in other parts of our history. And it was causing major problems. Now, I don't remember all the events that happened, but they crushed this guy that was organizing. I mean, they ruined him. They financially ruined him. They destroyed the organization. The, the left can never, ever, ever, ever allow themselves the tactics they have found to be so effective. That's why once to own the street, or what? That's why I am less sanguine than many of my fellow conservatives, perhaps even including you. We haven't discussed it yet about last week's Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. What I think that a lot of conservatives uh, naively don't understand, and perhaps I'm overstating things, I hope not, is that these people will never, ever let go. It's more than an article of faith. It's the very core of their ideology. Not only are they going to come up with all kinds of workarounds for affirmative action, but the workarounds they could come up with perhaps could be even worse, much worse. Take this idea which is spreading more rapidly than uh, weeds in my backyard, of the idea of the adversity scores to replace achievement tests. The socioeconomic adversity score, it's called the SES. It's already being used in uh, some left-wing states like California and Oregon. Tell us how much you've suffered Tell us how much you've been oppressed. That's what we want to celebrate. We don't want to hear about accomplishment or hurdles overcome or achievement. We want to hear about your victimhood. I do see an opening. I hope I'm right. A new model of of educational excellence at the university level, particularly as these universities become absolutely unaffordable to anybody but the, you know, the one-tenth of one percent. Places like Hillsdale, places like Tikva, places like this new University of Austin that's trying to get off the ground, places dedicated to the unburdened 
undaunted pursuit of the truth, which is the cornerstone of, of any free and democratic society, freedom of inquiry, freedom of conscience, uh, and civil discourse, making uh, this kind of educational opportunity open to all who qualify. That's what made our once great universities great. Not perfect, but great. And today, uh, I, I just wonder whether there is the ability, the strength, the commitment on our side to try to right these wrongs as there is ability, skill, and commitment to preserve and protect the core of these hard left-wing ideologies. Well, you know, Tom, I go back and forth on, um, and I, I think this is probably normal for both of us, that, you know, you, that from day to day, you, you reevaluate whether, am I being alarmist? Am I, you know, am I just reflecting my own um, actuarial table uh, rather than the reality of whether the country is dying or not? Um, and feel really good that that in spite of everything uh i mean it's actually kind of amazing country uh, that half the country is able to hold the views it does when it has virtually no place to go uh other than places like the bauer rose show uh, to hear somebody defend and promote and explain why these things they believe are actually right and true and the only thing that was the country. The jury's out. I mean, I, I, I was talking with a successful businessman uh, on Friday, um, and our conversation was uh, about whether or not we are in a moment here. It, it, you know, maybe it uh, – Maybe it's five years, 10 years. I, theoretically, it could be less than that where it's going to be decided, Tom. I, I mean, I really believe that. I, I, I don't think we can, can, can continue on the road of uh, Democrat governments, Democrat administrations that viciously and at any cost move the country in the direction they want to go as we see now, uh, willingly uh, cutting back, uh, distorting our civil liberties in order to do it, using technology to do it, twisting laws and agencies that were meant to protect us from foreign enemies to do it. And then public administrations that uh, spend all their time talking about marginal tax rates uh, and uh, government regulation, both of which are serious things and uh, are, are worth some equity, but willingly and, and intentionally and regulating themselves AWOL and the larger debates about what it is that free young people should be taught. What is the purpose of our school? What role does religion play in our national life? What is the nature of our liberty? What should a foreign policy look like people? On those things, the Republican administrations all uh, are willing to just go along to get along. Uh, I can imagine, Tom, depending on who our nominee is and if that nominee wins, uh, we will go to the map to save the Trump tax cuts. 
uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd be happy if we could save the, the, the Trump tax cuts. But it's not the most important thing that's going to happen in America over the next five to ten. No, it certainly um, certainly isn't. Yeah. So, I mean, so I was talking to this businessman and, and uh, much to my surprise, he agreed. He he was ready to make some big investments. You know, he said, Gary, this country's blessed me. I've I've had some great successes. Uh, uh, by the way, I don't know why I did it, but I just, I just had this overwhelming instinct uh a year before COVID that uh, I should sell a lot of the uh, commercial properties that I had. People were calling me nuts, uh, but I did it. And, uh, and now those properties are, are worth half what they were when I, when I sold them. So I've got resources and uh, I, I'm looking for places to invest them. So um, I Tom, I mean, I, I run into people all the time. I can't tell you, the number of people that I'm not, you know, not, oh, man, stay away from that guy. He's, he's crazy. You know, I'm talking about people that have been good to America and America's been good to them. And uh, they're, they're buying second and third places they can retreat to. Uh, and I don't mean retreat because they don't want to pay California's high taxes. I mean, places where they might have a chance to survive with their extended families for a period of time until the insanity crosses over America or some moment or time or decades of uh, regrowth and renewal. If that, if that ever, ever uh, if that, if that ever comes more out of time um, to you, to Carol, to Bauer nation, a wonderful, blessed, and remembrance-filled Fourth of July. I mean, it's it's a day that too many of us just simply take for granted. We don't appreciate. We can't appreciate because we didn't live in their time. We can't appreciate that the fact that George Washington leaves home after being appointed commander-in-chief of the Continental Army in May of 1775, and he bids his beloved Martha goodbye and his beloved Mount Vernon goodbye, that he wouldn't be home for eight years. Hi, honey, I've, I've got a, I've got this military assignment. Um, I won't be, I'll be back in eight years. <laughs> I mean, it's these kinds of, of sacrifices that men of honor and men of virtue made for us are impossible for us to fully appreciate, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't start to try. Yeah, Thomas, we sign off here. Here's an easy thing. Uh, I haven't thought it through, but it seems like an easy thing to do uh, today and, and tomorrow. Where, wherever you live in America, the odds are overwhelming. You may live in a city or a county or we'll see streets or state capitals or other things, schools, etc., that are named after the people we have been talking about this morning, Tom. Names after, uh, you know, everybody from Columbus to, you know, Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, streets with those names on them, uh, point them out to your children and then use that as an opportunity to talk about that individual because those names are being erased. They, they've been taken to schools in some areas of the country already. It's all part of the process to make sure there is 100% national uh, amnesia about what we were supposed to be that that memory 
stands in the way of the power-hungry people that want to make us into something else. So use those names all over America to teach your children. Well said. Well said. A happy 4th of July to you, to all of our listeners, and we will talk to you in a couple of days. This is the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and the Bauer and Rose Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can go... Again, wherever you get them, you can find us hosted at justthenews.com. Make sure, give us a five-star rating, refer us to your friends, and hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the screen so you won't miss an edition of the Bauer and Rose Show. Have- down. I'm writing this down. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great fourth. A happy fourth, everybody. Happy fourth, everybody.